Hey, Newsacast listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Please help us grow by subscribing or sharing the Newsacast with friends or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now let's get this show on the road. That is interesting how people will say, yeah, I get up and I take a shower with you and I'm going, that's very strange. But hey, that's it'll work for me. Welcome to the NoosaCast. What is a NoosaCast? It's where we bring local folk stories to life through conversation. All right, NoosaCast listeners, we've made it to episode six. This is episode six. Hard to believe that we've uh, put this many out. I, I think we've you know, we're learning as we're going, um, but I think we've put out a decent product so far, Joe. I agree, Tosh. And this one is particularly special, getting a chance to talk to Dave Edwards, who certainly had a special tie to the Red Smith Banquet. But more than anything, he's he's been our wake-up voice in, in the Fox Cities for what seems like forever. And I know I can't start my day without hearing Dave's voice. So <laughs> that Dave... Yeah, that's going to be special. You're going to hear a lot about Dave and a lot about his career, um, you know, and, and you're going to find out you know, Dave was that transition piece from the uh, winner, winner, chicken dinner type banquet where the guys would sit up there and tell stories and crack jokes to actually getting to know the people who came to the Red Smith Banquet. So um, you're definitely going to enjoy that interview. Um, and also, you know, this is a this is a big week for youth sports as far as high schools are concerned, because um, this week all high school fall sports start. Um, football's been in the in, in play for a week now, but every, every high school sport starts this week. Tosh, in the words of uh, one of my favorite guys, Big Cat, football's back. Football is back. Yeah, football, football makes the money, right? No, we, we, we love all sports. We love all sports equally, but uh, high school football in particular is, is back. And I could not be more excited. You, you're right. Um, everybody's back in session, whether you're running cross country, whether you're playing soccer, whether you're playing football, you're, you're back tomorrow. Uh, it's August 10th today, Thursday, August 10th. Tomorrow, the, the 11th, almost all the high school football teams, that's their scrimmage day. Uh, that's, that's their chance to bang up on another opponent that's a chance for the officials to get out on the field for the first time and jive with their crew and uh yeah get a few you, steps uh, in do you work on that day uh, i am actually i'm not i um yeah uh I'm, my my first game is going to be game action uh, the following All thursday right. so giddy up yes excellent yeah i'm excited i mean fall sports is is has a lot of excitement because all the students are back and there's excitement at the beginning of the year and it's just it's it's fun it's a lot of fun um my youngest is a freshman this year so he's get to gets to experience um i get to i get to see it in a different light my oldest graduated high school and i got to see everything through his eyes so now i get to see that as an incoming freshman and all that excitement again and i'm looking forward to that you know he's he's playing football for uh, fvl and he is excited about it. So, you know, the excitement of fall sports is, is really, it's different than all the other seasons, just for the fact that it's a new beginning for everything. 
Well, I'm excited to watch Big E's career unfold. <laughs> no, he's, yeah, we'll it's going to be. I remember him playing through the you know through the the Great Lakes League that has the AYFA teams and the and the, right. and the Saints. Um, you know, so I, I remember Ethan, go, you know, playing. I've refed a couple of his games, and yeah, uh, yeah. Now, now they step up, play big boy football. They do, they do, they they do. They play play with the big boys now. Yes, and you know another thing that happened this weekend, just to uh, to mention it, is what a great job again by Mila Music. Yes, um, fantastic job. Thanks for putting this on. Thanks for highlighting Appleton, and thanks for highlighting all the uh, amazing talent talented musicians that are coming to the the Fox Valley and showcase us for a week. It's it's probably my favorite weekend of the year and and no joke I, I pinch myself several times during the weekend just to make sure I'm really experiencing this in person because it, it's unbelievable. We're in Appleton, Wisconsin and all of this music is just floating through the air and and, and all of the the shops and the stores are in their full glory College Avenue. I mean you just you couldn't ask for anything more. So Dave Willems, his whole team, it's just it's it's good as usual. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things that I that I uh, like about what Milo Music has done is it's just brought live music to Appleton. Mm-hmm. Our music scene bef- prior to this wasn't much, but now it's a place where we're showcasing people, and uh, that's that's really really a great thing for our community. Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned it in uh, in Maddie's episode uh, that the Digstown was playing. You and I got a I got a chance to see them at, at Riverside. So uh, great show as usual, and and love the fact that they have a keyboard now. It's such it's a different experience. <laughs> so if you've seen Digstown before without a keyboard, I, it, it it's like the guys even said it the, the one night that we were uh, hanging with them. It's it's just it's it's sound changing for that band. It really is. It it sounds so good with the keys. So. Definitely right. check them out. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, great music again. And you know, one other thing I wanted to bring up, um, we you talked a little bit about Dave Edwards and the voice, the radio. Um, just talk a little bit about growing up with radio, and it's different now. But I remember the only way I could listen to a Brewer game when I was young um, or hear the Brewers is on radio. You know, yes. when I grew up, it was dominated WGN for the Cubs. And if you wanted to watch another, another, it was uh TBS with Atlanta, unless you got to see a uh, Saturday baseball or something like that on, on primetime, but that was it. So you had yeah. to listen on the radio. No, absolutely. I, you bring up a good memory that the Saturday afternoon baseball on, on NBC or whatever station it was, was Joe Garagiola and Tony Kubak, who yeah. and Appleton Tony, guy. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that was fun, but you're right. I mean, we grew up with radio. I mean, I there there's never been a day in my life that I didn't have Bob Euchre, you know, have access to Bob Euchre. I mean, he was right. just he he's just uh, he's a part of my life every single day of it. But I remember growing up. You're you're right. It was all about the radio. I can remember going to bed. This was probably in the late '70s, early '80s, and you could really, if you, if you tuned your radio right, you could pick up some stations far away. And I used to listen to it, could pick up the Pete Rose show. So I'd fall asleep sometimes <laughs> listening to the Pete Rose show out of what call letter it was in Cincinnati. But uh, Jeez. yeah, I mean, there, there, there's nothing better than, than radio. And, and I think that's probably why I like, you know, just enjoy Dave's show so much is because that's just how I've kind of always woke up to the radio, to the news, to the weather, you know, yeah. just, just to the, here's what your day is laid out for, for you. And and I know we can all get it on our phones now and, and 
I, I get it, but there's still a place for radio and, and absolutely. It, yes, absolutely. Well, great. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Um, it, it's another really good one with some great stories. So enjoy episode number six. Hey, Tosh, should we take an old look at new? Absolutely. Yep. This is that time when we look at some uh, history as far as the world of sports and uh, our country and our even neck of the woods sometimes. Let's do it. What do you have? What are you looking at? Uh, So this week in 1992, the very first dream team won Olympic gold. Oh, yeah. I remember that team. So, you know, look at Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley. MJ. um, MJ. Yeah, you name it. That was a... That was an incredible, incredible uh, thing. I mean, he's got to see that a little bit. I remember watching The Last Dance during COVID and got to see a little bit of that uh, during that Michael Jordan special. That was really good. I I, I did the same thing I watched during that time, too. And that was it it always amazes me. Just the great athletes like Jordan, just what a hard ass they are, really. I mean, it's just uh, it's but I guess that's really at the end of the day. It's kind of what it takes, I think, to be just the best at something. I mean, you, you saw it, it with Kobe. It I mean, you, you see it with yep. well, most of the guys and girls that, that are the best. They're you know they're the best for a reason. They, they definitely are. They have that drive. They have that grit. They learn from mistakes. Yeah, um, yeah. and that they didn't. I mean, that team didn't make many mistakes. <laughs> right. Don't get me wrong. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, that absolutely was. I great Olympic moment. Um, yeah, I mean those guys were everywhere. That I mean that was that was big time. I feel like that was the first time. I, I mean the, the eighty the nineteen eighty hockey team was big and and well publicized. But then I feel like this dream yep. team was sort of the start of. It wasn't social media yet in nineteen ninety two, but it was. You know they they were on all the TV shows. They were on the Wheaties boxes. Remember the, the Wheaties boxes? Uh, McDonald's yeah, commercials. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. Advertising was. I mean, you know, it wasn't really the social media, but the advertising. Absolutely, all yeah, over the place. No, no doubt about it. That that's really the first group that I can re- really remember such a big drive like that. Absolutely, yeah, good one, Tasha. Yeah, great memories for sure. What do you have coming up? Well, this one strikes close to home. As I was, <clears throat> I've been having fun with this segment, kind of looking back and jogging my memory. And when I saw this, I'm like, holy cow, we, we've got to do this one. It was my very first job of all things. But it's now the Grand Meridian on on North Oneida Street. But on February 25th, 1973, that opened as the Mark 1 and 2 movie theater. And that was right <laughs> in the neighborhood that I grew up with. Uh, you know, 15 years later after 1973, it was, the, it, it was my, my, I was an usher at, at the Mark 1 and 2. You know, the old brown polyester suit with a button-on ruffles. Right. Looking yep. pretty hot, Tosh, in 86, probably, 87, whatever year that was. But... <laughs> Yeah, the Mark 1 and 2, February 25th, 1973, that opened up. And I don't know what time it closed. Sometime in the 90s, they added a third theater in there. But when it was the Mark 1 and 2, those were just two huge, in my opinion, classic movie theaters. They The chairs yeah. were – the chairs are pretty cool now. You know, you kick your legs up. And the movie experience is – it's pretty awesome right now. But, you know, the Mark had great seats. I mean, they rocking chairs, big club, yeah. and huge seats. They Absolutely. had the double seats, you know, sometimes if you... I The biggest thing I remember about that was uh, watching After Hours, The Hunt for yeah, Red October. Yeah, After Hours. <laughs> 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 yes. Kids show, Tash, we probably shouldn't go there. Joe, 
Yeah, probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't talk about that, but it is it is the memory. When you talk about that, that's the one, the one I have of uh, the hunt for Red October yeah. at the Mark. I, I do too. remember that. Yeah. yeah, Tosh is referring to. I, I obviously, like I said, that was my first job, and and one of my jobs there was to actually put the the movies together. They came in big orange steel cans, and you, you'd have to they call it splicing, and you'd put these together in in this huge table. Uh, that, that held the film and then it would go through the big old school projector. So you'd always on the night that you'd put that together, you'd do a, a late night run to make sure that all the splices were in place and it, it was right for opening night the next night. So I, I would do that and Tash and some buddies would, would come over and we, we, you know, we'd have the first showing at midnight. So hunt for red October. We did that with platoon. I remember that. Um, yeah, there, there were several yep. movies, but yeah, that, that was so much fun. And you know, the 80s, what a great era for movies. I mean, there were some incredible oh, movies out, out there. Still still ones that I watch to this day that I still love. Yeah, it was a good time. Good yeah, time for no sure. No doubt. So, well, that was a good old look at new, Tash. Really, really got the, the mind a rolling and, and looking back. So, absolutely. Yeah, that's our take on an old look at new. Hope you enjoyed. All right, Tash, I am excited for this next interview. Dave Edwards. He, uh, Dave, Dave and I, have, I, I love Dave, to be honest with you. I've, I've worked with him for a long time with the Red Smith Banquet. And like I said in the interview with him, I've, Dave has been my wake up voice for since 2006. So it's, it's, uh, that, that's pretty cool to, to sit down and, and just, just get to know Dave. And I, I know you're a fan of him as, as well, Tosh. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's the voice of the Fox Cities, right? Yes. I, I agree. A lot. Of- a lot of people waking up to him and uh you know it was it was interesting because he he transitioned to Red Smith Banquet from the uh you know you have somebody coming up and just reading a bunch of jokes they found on the internet and uh he actually brought it to uh to basically an interview type of uh Red Smith event which I thought transitioned fantastic uh when he when he came in and did that no I absolutely and we we talk about that in the interview so yeah, sit back and enjoy. Let let Dave tell his story of, of, of who he is. We've listened to him for so many years. Take me back to your growing up years. I, I know uh, Fargo, right? You grew up in, in in high school. I would imagine, you know, certainly judging by your daughter's basketball career, I got to believe the old man had something to do with that. Yeah, we grew up in the Dakotas. Uh, predominantly for me, it was North and South Dakota. Uh, when I was, was I 12 or 13 at the time, uh, as we were getting into junior high, my dad got a, another TV job. He was in Minot, got a TV job down in South Dakota. So we moved. And then sure enough, we moved out of there to a little town outside of there because we thought that was a good idea at the time. And it didn't end up being that great. And then we moved back into Sioux Falls and then we moved to West Fargo, North Dakota, all within about four and a half, five years. Oh, wow. So we almost felt like a military family in the way that we were moving and moving and moving and moving. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of sports influence. My dad was was uh, big in sports back in the Dakotas and he was the North Dakota sportscaster of the year a couple of times. And and so, yeah, I grew up with it. I was around it all the time and I'd go with my dad to some of the press conferences and news conferences and meet some of the athletes. And it was it was a lot of fun. And in some cases I'd even tag along and dad would be doing the play by play and I'd be over there taking stats for him when I was like 11, 12, 13 years old. So ah, absolutely. I hope I did a good job, but he didn't fire me. So I guess I must've hung on. Okay. That's how Joe Buck started <laughs> hanging out with his dad in the booth. 
Exactly. <laughs> and then, like I said, we made it to North Dakota again, and that's where I eventually graduated from. And um, and then one thing kind of led to another, got married and, and worked our way through uh, the upper Midwest predominantly. Sure. And then worked my way to Wisconsin about 25 years ago. Now, were you playing sports like through high school? I mean, was, was basketball your sport or golf or what, what were you uh, what were your sports? Mm-hmm. Actually, probably the first passion was baseball. Okay. Uh, there was no doubt. I mean, the, a lot of my friends just were so into baseball. I didn't even play golf until I was 12. My dad just out of the blue. And I used to just kind of whack a golf ball around the back 40 and chew up the yard kind of a sure. thing. And then finally he said, come on, let's go out and play. And I went, what? Because <laughs> I didn't even have like a full set of clubs at the time. Right. I think I had like five clubs. Um, they said, let's just go play nine out. At, uh, it was Cirrus Valley golf club in Minot, North Dakota. I got my first exposure and I think I shot 70 on my, on nine holes. And I thought I was doing pretty good. Yeah, that isn't bad. First time out. How, how old were you at that there time? I was 12. Yeah. And by the time I was 14, I was shooting in my forties. So it was, I had uh, fallen in love with the game. Absolutely. And also, yeah, I did play basketball too. I really love basketball. Uh, I really wasn't into football all that much because I just got my knees and my ankles got so beat up. I couldn't stay in football. Sure. It was just not for me. Sure. But basketball was a lot of fun. I had a I had a lot of fun in basketball, but I had bad knees, so I didn't last too long. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You had some pretty good teams. I was trying to trying to do a little research. It looked like there were some pretty good teams back in back in the day. Back in the day, we had some pretty fair teams. Not that I helped out that much, <laughs> but still, it was uh, yeah. We had a lot of fun. And uh, high school for me, like I said, was a bit of a blur because as soon as I'd get to know somebody, I'd, I'd be on to the next town and getting to know new people and. So uh, it was a little bit of a vagabond life there for a while, but uh, still enjoyed it. And yeah, sports was a huge driver for me. I loved it. I'll bet. Did you make friends pretty easy? Was it, I mean, that's, that's tough, I'm sure for some kids, but you seem to have a pretty outgoing personality. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, It got to the point where I was afraid of making too many friends because I had a feeling I was going to have to say goodbye to them in the next six months to a year. Um, But I, I always did. A pretty good job of of finding at least a good click of six to eight people that I could hang out with. And and then some people just gravitate to you or you gravitate to them. And and before you know it, you make a lot of good friends that somewhere down the line you have to say goodbye to. But that's life. I mean, whether it's high school or college or whatever, you're saying goodbye to people every now and then. But it was a lot of fun. And and sports was kind of the connector. Uh, A lot of the people I hung out with were on the team or were maybe on the JV or whatever and I wherever I was at. But uh, it was a good time. Good time. You talked earlier about you know being with your dad quite a bit at the different sporting events. I mean, were you pretty much born into radio? Did you always know you were going to do what you're doing? Just have do something with your voice, something with sports and, and announcing? Something of that nature. Yeah. Uh, he uh, was in radio to start with, and then he did television and did both, really. He would do um, radio sports broadcasts in the afternoon, and then he would do the TV sports at, you know, like the 6 and 10, like you see a lot of the guys around here do. So, yeah. um, Did I know immediately? Mm, Maybe not until I got into my high school years and started to look at options and seeing what I could do and knowing that if I was going to get into the radio business, it wasn't going to be something you had to take a four or six or eight year if you're going to become a doctor kind of thing. Um, So I did the broadcasting school thing right out of high school and and that ended up getting me into my career a little bit quicker than maybe some other people might have. Sure. So where did that lead mm-hmm. you? you? You go and, and learn a little bit about, about radio. Where, where was your first job? Well, here's the crazy thing. I got married like about a month or two before we moved to Minneapolis to go to school. So add that baggage on top of it um, and just trying to you know work yourself through the fact that you couldn't really work an awful lot and still go to school. So I, I did some part-time jobs and my wife worked full-time and 
And that was in Minneapolis when we were at the what was called Brown Institute of Broadcasting. Nice. I had a regal title. <laughs> and now I think it's the National Broadcast Academy. Um, and you learn the nuts and bolts, Joe. You know, honestly, you could probably learn most of what I learned if you just interned at a radio station for a couple, three months. Mm-hmm. But they give you kind of a crash course on how to run things. And we ended up, the first job I took was in Hastings, Nebraska. And it was good. We had a good time. And um, I did some sports there and did a show there as well. And that's kind of what you do. You do a show and then you maybe get to broadcast Hastings College Bronco football that, that afternoon or that weekend or whatever it might be. And uh, spent a lot of time in the in Nebraska, and also I got promoted and got sent to a, another station within our group in Kansas, and spent a lot of time there. And that was a lot of fun too, because I've told this story a few times that about the time we moved to Kansas was also the same time that Danny Manning moved to Kansas with his dad. Oh yes. And so he, with Larry Brown, kind of manipulating the whole thing with his dad becoming an assistant coach. Uh, Danny became the superstar that he was, and I became a bit of a Kansas Jayhawk basketball fan at that yeah. time because it was hard not to because it was really something to kind of fire you up and watch some really high quality basketball at the time. There really isn't anything better, is there, than just good college oh. basketball? I, I grew when I was in my early twenties, we had Dick Bennett up here and in, you know, UWGB. Hmm. It was just that that Brown County arena, there was no better place or louder place in the world than that little round arena. And I'm sure Kansas had to be just insane at that time uh fog allen of course back at that time k-state was actually pretty good too they had mitch richmond and some of those guys back then so you're you're talking about some pretty stout challenges and they actually had to beat mitch richmond and k-state one year to get to the national championship game eventually down the line so absolutely the venue like you said watching it at the old brown county arena which isn't much to look at and isn't obviously there anymore but but boy when you get that place rocking Talk about a home court advantage. Oh. Yeah, it's big. Certainly they, uh, I'm not sure what happened with the fire marshal, but no way were they within fire code <laughs> at that time. I Stunning if they were. Yeah, when people are standing in the aisles, usually you got a little bit of an issue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they're standing on each other's shoulders to see the game. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Yep. No doubt. Um, you know, you've been in, in Appleton WHBY since uh, 2006, I believe, right? I mean, that's it's getting to be a while yep. now. And I mean, I, I'm trying to think back. I don't really remember waking up in the morning without you, you talking to me. <laughs> It is interesting how people will say, yeah, I get up and I take a shower with you. And I'm going, that's very strange. <laughs> but hey, that's it'll work for me. Um, it, it, it really is a pleasure to do what I do. And, and thanks, Joe. It's um, It's been about seven years in Green Bay and now 17 in Appleton almost. Well, actually, it is about 25 years now, almost right about now. And I love it. It's it's not the easiest thing to get up at 2.30, 2.35, 2.40 in the morning right. and be in there and be bright and cheery at 5 in the morning. But that's what I do. And I've found that that's best for me sure and it gets me out on the golf course a little bit quicker after that so i believe it have it you works out. have you always been a morning person or did that take some time to get used to i mean I'm, I, if, if you even get used to it no and i've i've talked to enough people in this business you never get used to getting up at that time in the morning right. and even when you get out of the business it takes you forever to get used to normal working hours again i i have been pretty much a morning person most of my life i sure would i love to stay up and watch that late night game until 11 o'clock yeah but it doesn't work very well if you're getting three hours of sleep right right so so i have conditioned myself you know you get a nap in every now and then where you can and naps are great yes um, as long as they're not five minutes, five minutes doesn't work for me. I need about a half an hour to 45 minutes. Joe. There you go. I hear um, you. But otherwise, yeah, I I've adapted to it and I'm an early morning, get me some coffee and, and get me a, a bowl of raisin bran and I'm out the door mm-hmm. kind of a guy and I'm ready to go within a couple hours. I'm on the air and off we go. What's your prep like for the show? I mean, 
I mean, you're obviously it's 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 a pretty breaking flow, I guess. I mean, you, you take what's thrown at you throughout the day. But what is your prep like? You mentioned throughout the day. That's a good way to put it. I never really stop prepping because once I leave the studio, I'm thinking of what I'm doing the next day. I'm also getting some of my prep already ready and looking at every website under the sun, whether it comes to a sports website, weather could be news, whatever it might be. Uh, and then during the day, I'm just watching, listening and, and keeping an eye on the world because you have to, you have to have a sense of what's happening down the street, what's happening in Madison, what's happening nationwide and worldwide, because you can easily get tripped up if you're not on top of your game. And, um, and I like to keep it light where I can, but there's also that time where you really have to be serious because we have a lot of issues and, and you have to be on top of that as well. No, Absolutely. You know, I, I always loved during Red Smith coming to your to your studio. I mean, it's been, it's been fun to see that evolve over the years. But I, I have to imagine the way you're consuming. I mean, like you said, you've been in this area for 25 years. I mean, I can't imagine what you've seen as far as how you consume your news. Just uh, did you when you first came in? Did you still have the the teletape or the ticker or whatever? Was there uh, like I guess how did you initially cool. receive your the AP say wire the AP wire? I guess is what it would be. Back in the day, you bet we had that associated press wire that yeah. and it would it would clunk out the story. And you know now you just click a button, the whole story comes up. Right. But back in those days, it had to type out every single line all the way across until it was completely done. And if you had a long story, it could take like five minutes for that thing to completely print out. Yeah. Um, yes, back in the day, that was where we received a lot of our news. And as you well know, until Al Gore invented the internet. Um, we didn't have the uh, ability to just click on our computers and start scanning from all over the world or all over the nation. Right. But when that became available, obviously that made life a lot easier. Things were right in front of you. And as you've seen in our screens, um, in the studio, we have one, two, three, we have four screens up in front of me that have various things, everything from how I'm operating the show to news and websites uh, for weather, sports, you name it. And then there's also some content sources that I use and maybe drop in some funny stuff here and there. So that helps us be what we are because as you say and you probably have witnessed i don't have a producer there it's right pretty much me and then the person down the hallway that's doing the news so you have to be uh i guess multi-dimensional in your talents these days yeah no no doubt about it and yeah you certainly are it's that really is the most fun is to, to go in there and just watch you operate it's like an Appreciate it's it. like a pilot yeah you know it's it it's a lot of fun. It's it's weird. People say, how do you keep track of it all? But once you start doing it, just like I'm sure in your job or other people's jobs, it becomes second nature after sure. a while that you, the, the button pushing becomes second nature. It's the fun part and your brain going off on things that's that makes it interesting. Yeah, no doubt. You know, you mentioned um, the, the news anchors or whatever, and you've, you've had a number of them throughout the well, throughout the years. I mean, I've I guess I've always been I always enjoyed your, your conversation. Gene Anthony. I mean, you guys always felt like you had mm -hmm. a great on-air rapport. Love Jeannie. Jeannie was fantastic. Yes. And she had the wit that would just knock you off your socks every now and then because you wouldn't expect it until it hit you. And then went, oh, wait, right. oh, oh, Jeannie. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, with, with Ray Waiter passing earlier in the, you know, this summer and, yes. and uh, yeah, just kind of reading about him, you start to just realize all the people that have come through WHBY, yourself included, that it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's one of the few things that radio, you still feel that connection. I mean, we all feel like we know you, we all feel like we know, you know, the good neighbor or whoever it might be. Well, we do like to get out there and, and Ray was that type of person too. Ray was intense about making sure that he got it right. There was, I don't think I've worked with anyone on the business that was more worried about the perfection of the news story. He didn't want anything in there to be incorrect. He wanted to make sure details were done right. Phrasing was done correctly. 
And I, the weird thing about Ray, one of the first times I met him, he was uh, he had been out jogging with some friends, and you know Ray was a pretty avid runner. And Ray used to wear the shortest shorts on the planet. I mean, <laughs> it was it, it was kind of startling when you first said, hi, Ray, and you're kind of shaking his hand at the same time, sweats dripping down every part of his body at the time. But but he was uh, he was a very good man, and and he is certainly missed because uh, when you think of a Hall of Famer in the state of Wisconsin and news, uh, Ray's right up there at the top. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, Larry Bur- or Larry Bird would be proud of those shorts, wouldn't he? Oh, baby. Yeah. There you go. I like that. The old Indiana State reference, too, even back before he became a Celtic. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, let, let's talk a, a little bit now. So I know we, we listened to you in early morning, but there is more to just the three hours that you're on the air. I mean, you're out in the community doing, I mean, you're emceeing a lot of events. We'll, we'll talk about Red Smith here in a moment, but you're, you, you have a lot going on just outside the, the, the morning shift. Sure, sure. And and we have to do a lot of things in radio now because we've seen where, yes, you have producers and you have six news people. Well, those days are gone. You just don't have that as much. So you have to do more in, in getting yourself prepared for the next day. You, like I said, you have to do a lot of your own note taking. I Sometimes throughout the house, I've got little notepads and I'm writing things down as I go. And then I have to remember to take them all with me the next day back to work. Sure. Um, yeah. And it, it's, I think part of what we do is yes, we are well known with being on the radio, but it also is great to be out there and helping out. Like I said, with Red Smith or some of the mile of music things we've done through the years and some of the other banquets that I've been involved with are just special events. Um, because it's, I, maybe it's a small part of how we give back too. Um, because in most cases I don't get paid for any of this. Right. It's, the stuff I do outside of the studios is just on my own time and my own dime, but it's, it's a lot of fun. You connect with people. And then when you see people and they go, you don't look like you sound, that's always encouraging too, because <laughs> you don't sound like you look. It's like, okay, what do you mean by that? But, but it's a great way to connect with people and, and get to know our community, which we know, obviously, this is one of the most amazing communities you're ever going to work in. Because usually you have that one central city and that's kind of it. And then maybe you have a couple peripheries and we have... My goodness, we probably have 30 to 40 different communities that we serve. When you start talking from Howard Swamico, Green Bay, all the way through Wrightstown and De Pere, obviously Wrightstown and through the Fox cities, all the way down to Oshkosh. I mean, think about that chain yeah. of cities, towns and communities and villages. And we hit them all. We hit them all in one way, shape or form. So you can't just say you're just Appleton or Little Shoot or Kimball or York Akana or Grand Shoot or Green Bay because you're trying to help get the word out to all. Yeah, it's northeastern Wisconsin, right? I mean, it's it's cool. a metropolitan yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. For you, just the, the dream job, the dream scenario to be in a community like this with a station like WHBY, or did you want to be in bigger markets, I guess? Absolutely. Uh, good question, because yes, I had aspirations. In fact, uh, there were some scenarios early in my career, n- not necessarily here of late, because I just, I'm getting toward the end of my career and don't want to pursue that big jump. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a couple of opportunities I either turned down or was pretty close and didn't get the job. And I even dabbled a little bit in the television end of it as well. I did some uh, some uh, state high school basketball and that type of thing, just doing like sideline reporting. And I had some people say, hey, you really should check into these openings. And I did. And I was a finalist for a few of them, but never got to that last point where I would be the next Chris Roth or even Bill Jarts before Bill started doing news. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was because that was what my dad did. Right. And um, I remember how good he was at it. And, and there was a time where I... I was thinking about it. It was close, but decided to stay in radio. But the bigger jump was it was close a few times where I almost got there. But 
I'm almost uh, at this moment, though, glad that I didn't because I think it's just a better life for me. Sure, sure. I mean, that, that's fantastic. Was, was your dad proud of your career? Did, was he able to see some of your career? Sure. He, yeah. And, um, and it's not only my career, but then he had a chance to follow my daughter when she played some basketball Excellent. later on. And, and, you know, the advancements in the ability to watch things on your computer or hear people. Because for the longest time, I mean, you know what it was like, Joe, we'd have that little transistor radio yes. that we'd hide in our bed with us at night and try to pick up, you know, uh, let's see, can I get WCCO or can I get, uh, you know, WLS out of Chicago? Yeah, I was Pete Rose out of Cincinnati. Pete Rose, the Pete yeah, Rose exactly. show with mine. There you go. And, and the thing is, you'd turn it just a little bit and you could catch the station. But if you turned it too far, you lost yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, but now you dial up your computer and you hit listen now and you can pick up almost any radio station within reason, uh, almost anywhere right there on your computer. And you don't have to go <laughs> grabbing your AM transistor radio anymore. It, it, it is amazing. But I, I miss listening to the radio like that. And I, I also miss reading a newspaper, just the actual art of sure. just pulling a newspaper in your hands. It kind of. Yeah. I don't know. That's our growing up years. I had a discussion with someone about that just the other day. He said the same thing. He said, you know, years ago I quit doing print, but he said, I missed it. I missed just sitting there and looking through the box scores yeah. because how many times do you really look at a box score anymore? How many times do you look at the list of all the golfers and how much they made yeah, in the tournament that just got completed? And you're looking for your favorite golfer and he took 12th and how much money? Did yes. yes. I used to do that all the time. And it, I'd even cut out clips of it because I had favorite golfers I wanted to keep track of and I'd take the clippings out. I was one of those weird people. No, absolutely. Yes, I, and I love the people in the newspaper business because I know they're they're going through their own struggles and trying to stay viable with whether they're print or whether they're doing it online. And um, I admire them because they help to create that picture like we do on radio. Right. Because on radio, we obviously don't have the pictures unless you've got a video camera in your studio with you. Mm -hmm. We have to create that theater of the mind just the same way a newspaper writer does as well and the sports writers that I loved as well growing up. Absolutely. It's just more enriching for the mind, I think, at least in my mm -hmm. opinion. You know, you, you talk about the advances kind of in technology and cameras and all that. How do you feel about social media? I, I know it's sort of a necessary evil for you, but what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> it is, <laughs> but you're right. It is somewhat evil at times um, because it's become, well, there's two things. Instant access is great. Uh, being able to stay on top of things is great. And I was a big fan of Twitter before Elon Musk took it over, but I don't want to get into all the details on all that. X. It, because you have a lot of people out there, too, that feel they get a free ride to tell you whatever yeah. they think about you yep. and get personal. And that's where I get a little bit leery of doing too much on social media. I enjoy doing it, but there's a time I have to cut off and just get away from it. Yeah. Because there are a lot of trolls out there that like to tell you whether you're whatever they want to tell you. Yes with you know anonymous as their name and that's that's to me where it gets a little freaky and gets a little bit concerning yeah it's so easy to hide behind your keyboard and not say anything but you're right they Ooh. don't realize that it it actually affects the person on the other side you know like you i mean that you all of us you, who wants to hear criticism and and i don't know it's it's a different world we live in and it's a shame that it's it can get that harsh at times I'll give you a quick story. There's a meteorologist. I am sorry for forgetting where he worked at. He had made a presentation on the air about how much the weather has been affected by climate change. And he's got the science to back it up and everything else. But he had so many people that gave him grief on the air that he got PTSD from it. Wow. And he actually he actually quit his job, which was what he loved to do as a meteorologist. But he quit because so many people were giving him grief about it 
on social media, calling him names, calling him a fraud, didn't know what he was talking about, even though he had the science to back it up. Right. And he and he started really losing sleep. He couldn't he couldn't work the same way anymore. And he quit his job. Huh. What a shame. I mean, for you, do you even read the comments or do you just kind of just shut them off and don't think of them? I got to be honest. I'm a pretty curious person. I, and on, I think that's my nature in radio is, is to be curious about everything. So sure, I, I, I see it. I hear it. I don't always listen to everything because in some cases you have to consider how passionate they are about what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world right now where there's there's a lot of that out there right now, a lot of opinions that may not be yours. But remember, they're opinions. They're people just expressing opinions. Right. And I'm, I'm not always going to agree with them, and they don't always agree with me, and that's why we have a difference. Right. But when it gets hateful is when I really start to back off and say, wait a minute, these are the type of people I'm going to block you. I'm going to say sorry, but we don't get into that type of discussion because you don't hear me calling you names on the air, so right. don't call me names. Right. So. Yeah, it, it seems to be getting worse. I, I don't know how you, you correct it. And it's, um, like I said before, mm-hmm. it's just a shame that that's, that's how it is. But it's, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm a big history fan. And I look back to uh, like the when Jefferson and Adams, you know, back in what it was, 1803, 1801. And it was the same thing. They were trash talking each other. Just We just get it now a little bit quicker. And it's more access to and, it. And, and think about what they were going through. I mean, you're starting a brand new country. You've, you're only 20 or 30 years into this new country. And you're still working out the bugs. Yes. I mean, there's a lot there to think about. And you're trying to build your country and everything else. At that time, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, animosity between even people that had to get along, even though they didn't. Yes. Yep. Still trying to mm-hmm. fix those bugs, aren't we, Dave? <laughs> oh, even 200 and some years later, sure. <laughs> uh, something just triggered in my mind when you were you, you mentioned weather. Is that is that the number one thing, the number one content that's changed over the years, just the coverage of, of how you guys coverage, cover weather? Because the technology has gotten better. Um, I mean, the meteorologists will be the first to admit that they don't always get it right because they, they do rely a lot on hunches, uh, but they also rely on all that fancy equipment that costs millions of dollars. Um, and, and I know we all get frustrated around here when there's an 80% chance of rain. Usually, I mean, it usually means there's about a 20% chance of rain and an 80% chance they're going to get it wrong. But I, I love my guys that I work with and, and they're never going to be perfect. Yes. And none of us are. And that's another thing that maybe the social media thing crawls into. We're not perfect people. We will make mistakes. We're not always going to get it right. But yeah, the weather has come to the point where I mean, even like in the practice of medicine, you're never going to get it perfect. You're not always going to get that operation quite right. Same kind of thing with weather. We know that Mother Nature has different plans and um, and we may have all the technology, but it may not all come together. I always love your interaction with, with the weathermen and uh, in particular, Steve Bayline. There, there were times I'd be driving down 41 or wherever, and I'd if you looked in my car, you'd see some guy uncontrollably laughing. <laughs> well, Steve kind of has the same mentality. He He's serious, and, and when he's doing the weather, he wants to make sure he gets the weather out. But after that, he kind of wants to have a little fun every yeah. now and then, too. And, and we kind of call it uh, Steve's weather school every now and then because he will just teach us something that maybe we didn't learn about or didn't know about before. And, but we can always put a twist to it too and have some fun with it. And I think that's, if you can't laugh at it every now and then, come on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing you'd mentioned your, your daughter, Nicole, who's, who's in the UWGB uh, hall of fame, just an incredible basketball player. I mean, I guess as a dad, I mean, I, I can't, I have kids. I I can't even imagine the ride that was to, to have her as a little girl doing, you know, all the traveling that you did to, to see her career unfold. It's just, I can't even imagine. It just, it's got to be so special for you. Well, she started growing up 
around her brothers who beat her up a lot. Let's face it, when it was on the basketball court, they kind of they were rough on her, right. which I think might have been a good thing. But she grew quickly when she got to about junior high. She started going. She started elevating. And you could just kind of tell as long as the body caught up with, you know, the talent, there was going to be something there. And yeah, when we moved here, let's see, that was in seventh going into eighth grade. I mean, she was already starting to get attention from a lot of the coaches. And there were people that extended her scholarships when she was a freshman. Wow. So there was just a knowledge there that they saw something that they could mold, that they could teach, that they could coach. And, and yeah, I mean, I mean, talk about pride. Absolutely. Um, and, and just like your brother Marcus before that, he, he loved the game of basketball too, but Nicole took it to that next level where she, she worked her tail off. And, um, even though the beatdowns after a while were, were tough, but she, she just gutted it out. And, and when they went to Kevin and played with uh, Kevin Borseth at, at Green Bay, it was amazing. I mean, I, I remember stepping onto the gym floor after the first game that she played and I'm going, gosh, there's going to be like 130 more of these before her career is right. over with. And then like that, like that, Joe, it yeah, was over. Yeah. For four years goes like that. Oh. And then off she went to play pro basketball over in Europe. And we we saw her over there play for the five years she was over there. Sure. So every now and then we, we had some great opportunities to see her there too. You know, a, a lot of, I mean, I've certainly been around a lot of sports parents and every parent thinks their kid's going to be a D1 athlete. And it's very, very rarely is that the case. I mean, you having one, how was that to navigate? I mean, is that like, how much is too much? Did, did Nicole play? Obviously she played a lot of basketball growing up. I mean, how did you navigate that, that push pull? Is this real? Is this mm -hmm. not real? Well, we, we allowed her pretty much to do whatever she wanted to do when it came to basketball. And she loved volleyball too. She was really good at volleyball. And then there was a couple of summers. She was, so good at softball as it was silly and it was like okay she can do three or four or five things but you knew down the line that it was going to have to be one or two things to really concentrate on mm -hmm. because obviously you can split off and go in six different directions and really lose the ability to do any of them but she was such a natural athlete that it never really became a big concern uh, she did kind of focus in on volleyball and basketball toward the end of it um, but it it is tough because you hear the other parents going why is Nicole getting this and why isn't my daughter getting that and yeah after a while you just have to shut it out and let her just kind of sort it out sure. because in most cases we just let her sort it out we you know we weren't in the coach's ears saying hey come on what's going on here because that that's not a good way to handle anything mm -hmm. i mean if your son or daughter can handle it they'll show it and you just have to try to guide them as best you can and keep keep prodding him to keep working hard. Right. And that's what, that's what she did. I mean, in the end, it's really, the, it's, it's the kid's decision, right? They're either going to do it or they're not going to do it. Yeah. And because she actually had people toward the end that maybe didn't realize she was getting basketball scholarship offers and she was starting to get volleyball scholarship offers. Oh, wow. And it's, and she had to tell some of the coaches, ah, sorry, I'm really kind of focused on basketball now. And um, it is interesting when those pamphlets start coming from all the colleges in your mailbox, it gets pretty full in a hurry, but but she had a pretty good idea right away that she wanted to have us available to see her play. Sure. And I know there were two or three other colleges that really put a hardcore press on her right at the end and really wanted her to come play, but she wanted to be here. She wanted us to be able to see her on a regular basis. And we probably saw 70 to 80% of her college basketball games because we did a lot of traveling too, right. which is part of the game. But that's absolutely yeah. amazing. And, and it's funny you say that with, with all the realignment now that's going on in, in college sports, you never think about that though, that the, now a home game might be all the way across, the, or a, a conference game might be all the way across the country where, where yeah. it used to be a hundred miles up the road, the parents could go see it. 
you know, I, I know you can watch it online and things like that, but there's nothing as a parent like being in the stadium or in the arena with your kid and you're not able to do that as much. So that's really cool that Nicole did that. I mean, what a special gift for you guys. Absolutely. There was one team that if she had taken the offer, she would have been playing predominantly from here East instead of where she played predominantly right through the Midwest, um, which would have made it a little bit more difficult because we would have a lot of those road trips through Chicago and flying to yeah. places that um, it would have been pretty costly to be a parent at that time because we would have had to put everything else on hold to just go see her play. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and along your side and in, we should have talked about Shelly right off the bat, but I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, literally right when you started your career, I mean, Shelly's been right there. And I've got to just personally, I've known you for a long time and I've always, always admired the, the relationship that, that you and Shelly have. I mean, it's infectious. It's, it's, and honestly, it's really, really inspiring to see. So I, I you and her are a team most definitely. <laughs> She's a rock and she's, uh, and I think our kids would say she's pretty, pretty darn good mom too. I mean, she's there. She will call you. She will be there to take your call. She will guide you as best she can. And um, that's why she gets to like, you're the greatest mom cups at, at, at Mother's Day because um, she qualifies. She puts in a lot of hard work and she loves, uh, she loves me, but she loves the kids probably more. Sure. Was <laughs> Shelly a good athlete growing up? Did she play sports? She was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's pretty good too. Yeah, she played some softball and she played volleyball and some of those things too. And I think she she got some of the the good genes there from both of us. So, uh, yeah, I, she to this day she's not her golf game suffers a little bit because she doesn't have the best back right now. Sure. But aside from that, she can hit a golf ball pretty far too. So I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. I I see the pictures. That's great. I mean, there's there's no better game than golf, no doubt. Oh, love it. Love it. Well, I, I always, you know, obviously with you and Shelly, we spent some time at Red Smith and, and mm -hmm. I always love that time of year with, with you there. And, and you and I were, were talking before. I mean, you you joined the committee right when we went from, you know, having the, the, the traditional head table to really completely switching the format to, to interview. We changed right. the room. It, it was just it was a completely different show. And, and quite honestly, that wouldn't have been possible without you doing that and and i will always remember the i don't remember the year we did that right off the top of my head i should have probably wrote that down but i remember 2014 2015 something sounds like about yeah. right but i right. always remember the feeling that that when you had the first guest up there and the lights were on and you were up there interviewing him you had your legs crossed and i just remember thinking that <laughs> that's david letterman up there you know it was just kind of that that feeling that that it was just it, we did the right thing. And, and one, thank you for that. But um, I always just enjoyed your, your interview skills and just what you did on stage at Red Smith. Wow. Um, thank you. That's uh, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Joe. But I remember the, the the first year or two that I was on the committee, we were still doing the long days. <laughs> and, the you know, it took you like you had to wrestle through like 40 people just to go to the bathroom <laughs> or to go get a beer or whatever you wanted to do. But when we made that change and kind of opened up the floor and open and a bigger stage in the backdrop, the backdrop made it so cool, too, because then people could see videos behind me and everything. I never once I don't know what it is. There's a comfort zone, I guess I get into. Maybe it's just all the 30 plus years of radio now. There's just a comfort zone when I have a microphone and I'm with people and I'm talking with them. It just doesn't seem like anything more than just a conversation across the dinner table. So I never really felt nervous. I felt like I was in my element. And I know other people get into their sweet spots, whether their, their career is or whether they're in a sport or whatever, where you just kind of hit your sweet spot and you go. And that's, I loved every minute of doing the Red Smith Sports Awards. Believe me, every minute 
from talking to Badgers to talking to pro athletes to talking to Jackie Joyner Kersey mm -hmm. on, on how it is to be an Olympian like she was, to sitting down with Bob Costas and letting him just take off yes. and start telling stories. That is so much fun. And I hope that everyone else enjoyed how we did because that change was so huge, but it was also a huge gamble. We didn't know if it was going to work. Right. right. And, and I hope it worked. <laughs> well, I mean, it definitely worked. And I think it's one of those things where, yes, we were nervous to make the move, but we knew it was going to work. I mean, it's exactly the kind of most people like just good conversation, right? I mean, that that's mm -hmm. to me, that's just the key. I hope that's what this is, this is just just good conversation. In, in speaking, and maybe just a little social plug for the NoosaCast, we do have a YouTube channel where on Sunday mornings we have the Red Smith throwback. And, and we had Jackie Joyner-Kersey uh, last week and uh, Goose Gossage the week uh, before. And that's where we yeah. had the old head table. And th there's a shot of a, a little bit younger Dave Edwards <laughs> in the corner there. But uh, no, probably sitting next to – I think I was sitting next to Pat Williams at the time, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, I think, from the Miami uh, – from the Orlando Magic. Yes, yep. yes, absolutely. Yep. But your interview with Jackie Joyner is, is – up on on YouTube and this week I think we're gonna have Jim Rice uh, this week and I know you had uh, you had a great interview oh, with Jim so that was uh, in fact I remember us, the restless moment is coming yes, people yes yes <laughs> one of my all time favorites <laughs> but, but I just that that was just so much fun and and when you go from a baseball player to a football player the next thing you know you're talking to a hockey star or a soccer star it first of all you have to prepare for that and right. know what you're getting into but also uh, just listening to some of their stories. I mean, even some of the stories that we didn't even have a chance to bring forward at the banquet, just sitting and having yes. lunch with them and just kind of chilling with Jim Rice or someone like that, mm -hmm. or uh, James Lofton when we had him there and so many of the others that have been through the wars, have been through the, you know, the tough years and, and the great years as well. And to hear some of those stories and where they came from and how they had to work their tail off to get there because nobody gets there easily. It doesn't come easy for anybody. No. Even with a Michael Jordan kind of talent, you still had he, he got caught. Remember yes. in junior high before he made it to the big time. So th those I will never forget. And just meeting Julius Irving, Dr. J and some of the others. Uh, career moments, no doubt. So you have to talk about the Dr. J night. <laughs> the, the well, how much night. can I say? How much can I say? Well, it's a, it's podcast, a podcast, right? Yes. And we have an editor. Well, well Doc came in, first of all, and um, – you know, you just never know until you meet him just how they're going to handle people. You know, he was a little reticent about doing a lot of autographing. And I showed him, I said, Doc, there's just one thing. There's just one thing I want you to sign. And it was a, a Leroy Neiman print, mm -hmm. beautiful print of him going up for a dunk. And he went, ooh, that's cool. And I thought, okay, I got him now. I got him now. He's <laughs> going to do whatever I want him to do. So anyway, yeah, after we had a wonderful banquet and Doc, of course, was our keynote at the end. And he told some great stories. And then we sat down and talked about his life. Afterwards, we get to the little afterglow party, which is always a lot of fun. We just usually sit around with a cocktail and talk, talk stories. Doc just, I don't even remember who he said it to, Joe. Do you remember who he said it to? He said, is there anywhere around here we can go have a, a cigar? Yeah, I'm thinking Paul. I, I think Paul, but I'm not. Might have been Paul. Yeah. Sure enough, we all kind of looked at each other and go, yeah, there's a place two blocks down. <laughs> it's a little icy on the streets right now, but there's a place like two blocks down. And then I, I don't know who called them, but called them and found out, um, by the way, we're going to be closing in a few minutes. So I'd have to say no. Um, we have Dr. J and some of his entourage here. And the media was like, okay, come on down. <laughs> yes, yes. Bring everyone with yeah, you. Yeah, they, they opened and up late. Yeah. 30, 11 o'clock. And they held the place open. And everyone went down there. Well, almost everyone went down there to have a cigar and a little bit something to drink. Um, and down at the cigar shop, just a couple blocks down. 
And there's Doc and he's just sitting back as I get there because I, I didn't show up right away because I was still saying goodbye to some people. There's Doc and he's got a cigar and he's got a burn mark on there about that long. Yes. And he's sitting there with his assistant and about 20 or 30 people that are all in awe of the fact they're sitting there having a cigar yes. with Dr. J. Yes, yes. And just a little cigar bar downtown Appleton on a really chilly January night in Appleton. Gotta and love it. Was it. A beautiful thing. Oh, it was. It was. <laughs> I still have. I still have people that come up to me and say thank you. Um, that they were, Josh Gosher says the same thing. Every time I see Josh, he says, oh, by the way, thanks again for letting me come that yeah. night. And because we invited him to be one of the speakers. And and sure enough, Josh came and had a cigar with Doc and, and sat down and talked with him for a while. And he, he still remembers that night like it was yesterday. It, it was one of the, it, at least for the people working on the bank, it was one of the best parts of it. I mean, obviously putting it on the show was fantastic, but it's, it's, it's the lunch, it's the after. It's, you get a chance yeah. to enter, I mean, when would we ever enter you know, interact with Dr. J and, and you just get, boom, right. you get one magical night and it's just pretty cool. And we did the same with so many of the guests. And I know down through the years, I'm sure you did the same thing back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and on through, and even sitting down, just talking stories with an Oscar Robertson mm-hmm. and his days with, with Kareem, as he knew him, lose Al Cinder way back in the day. And just, and, and I even asked him, I said, how's, how's Kareem doing? And he knew that Kareem was going through some health issues. And so he said, yeah, we talk every now and then. And just how much do these men still stay in touch with each yeah. other or the ladies, how much do they stay in touch with each other and learning, you know, what their lives are like now and what their kids are going through. Are their kids in sports? What do they do? Yes. And it's part of what's fascinating about these people. It really is. And you hit, I mean, they're people. They're, they're yep. we, sometimes we hold them up a little too high, but at the end of the day, they're, they're just people. <laughs> Right. Do you have a favorite guest at all from, I know it's tough to, to say, but do you have a, a favorite person that you interviewed? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, Bob Costas was was amazing. Mm-hmm. Although Bob had so many stories to tell, I almost didn't even have time to even ask him very many questions right. because we kind of ran out of time. Um, talking to Al Toon and talking about, you know, Al's days when he was a fantastic athlete and then dealing with the concussions he had to deal mm-hmm. with. Uh, which eventually did lead him to leave the game because it was just too much after a while. Right. Um, and Sidney Moncrief was a lot of fun to talk to. Oscar Robertson, obviously. Some of the other Badgers we've had. We had Craig Council there. And then you start thinking about just the fun we had with Jim Rice, which was just, it went in a completely different direction than I thought it would go in. Yes. But it was still a lot of fun. But but Doc, even Chichi Rodriguez, Chichi was just absolutely the life of the party and, and was telling stories. And I think if I let him go, he could have talked for an hour yes. and just... Did nothing but tell stories of his golf years and, and some of the wacky things that have happened in his life. But even, don't forget about Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, yeah. Muggsy, I've talked to people that have said that is one of the most poignant times they've had at a banquet. Because Muggsy started talking about when he was a young person growing up in, I think it was Baltimore, and got shot. I and mean, he was shot in one of the street shootings that occurred. And he had people right there. He had them right there, right in the palm of his hand. Yeah. And just so, some of those stories are some of the things you never will forget. No, absolutely. No, never forget. I 100% agree. Well, Dave, one, I just want to thank you for this. This has been fantastic. Want to reminisce about Red Smith, but really just to kind of get to know you. I mean, like I said, we we hear you every morning, but it's nice to get to know who who is Dave Edwards. Where did he come from? Joe, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and anytime I can talk about the sporting world, it usually just perks my ears and I go, okay, let's talk, let's talk. And the Red Smith, uh, for me, so many years, so many great years, and I'm no longer with, with the crew, 
but I just decided it was after about 10 years, it was just a good time for me to, to check out, let somebody else take over for a while. Because sometimes you just need a new perspective. Yeah. But I will never forget all the days and weeks and months leading up to it, how much I anticipated and couldn't wait for it to get there. And then when it got done, I couldn't wait for the next one to come along. So it was a, a sincere pleasure, Joe. And thanks to all on the committee for helping make that happen. Well, no, and I appreciate that. And it, for now, we're going to relive them through the, through the uh, throwback. So we'll, we'll still get to see you in action. Good to hear. Thanks, Joe. Tosh, I really, really enjoyed that interview with Dave. I, I learned a lot about Dave. I've, I've known him for a lot of years, but I, I learned a thing or two. Yeah, it's really cool that you got to sit down with him and um, hear his story, just like we're doing the stories of all the individuals who are on the NoosaCast, but this one has a particular spot in your heart, and uh, it was good that you got to sit down, and now we can expose that story to a whole bunch of other people now. Exactly. The the exact mission of the NoosaCast was accomplished. So thank you, Dave. And, and Dave was certainly a big part of Red Smith Banquet history. So again, I appreciate Dave sitting down. I really enjoyed it. And I hope Dave did too. I think he did. All right, NoosaCast listeners, it's time for your favorite, our favorite, most confusing segment that we do, uh, The Forgotten and I am never forgetting. So, um, Joe, are you ready for this? I think I'm ready for this, Hash. <laughs> All right. I'll start off with the forgotten for me first. Yeah, go ahead. And the one thing that, that I want to forget is all of these streaming services that I have to subscribe oh. to to watch anything that I yeah. that I want. I just I, It used to just be able to watch stuff. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Now it's stream this, do this, stream this, stream this. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It, it is almost to the point. I, I was listening to a podcast today, and, and there's this show called, I think it's called Jury Duty, but it's only available on Amazon. I mean, the, all of these specific shows are only available on you know specific streaming. Right. I guess it's similar to turning the channel dial, but you're right. And then, then usually you have to pay for each one of these subscriptions. So it's just, absolutely. yeah, it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. To- yeah, it's driving me a little crazy, but, you know, it is the day and age we live in now, and uh, it's not going away. No. So. <laughs> well, and, and my forgotten is very, very similar to yours, and maybe only because I'm dealing with it currently. But for the love of God, these stupid chargers can they work can they just work i mean you i I have in in charging cases so of course i've lost my ipod charging case so now i've got a whole bunch of earbuds but no chargers so you basically don't have earbuds (laughs) that that just that happens to me twice a year at least i mean that that's maybe that's more on me than them but at least the charging cords I mean, I don't know. How, how many do you buy? What's the over-under on, on charging cords that somebody buys in a year? Six? I, it is pretty incredible, whether they're breaking or... Or just don't work? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, how many times should... have you actually... I, and this is this is, has to happen to other people. Wherever you purchase the cord, you order it, however, you get it and it doesn't work. Right. My, my cord for my computer right now has... It's white but there's a lot of black spots where the cord is breaking and I just put electrical tape on oh, it. Oh yeah. So <laughs> well you're good. I mean electrically yeah, yeah, you do that you're totally good. It's fine. Yes. It'll be work it'll work fine. Absolutely. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, speaking of things that uh, what could go wrong, um, we started off with this segment calling it something else, but it's I am never forgetting now. And uh, I'm going to start off with mine. And um, after this weekend, I'm never forgetting Mile of Music. Uh, you know, it's a yeah. great time. We have some great, super talented people who come here. Um, big shout out to Mile of Music for everything that they do uh, 10 years now. It's, it's just uh, incredible, Tasha. I mean, you're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of work Dave Willems, his whole team, puts into it. But you're right. It's, 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 I mean, I've started taking vacation just to get off. I love it that much. It's, it's Absolutely. such a great weekend. Appleton just shows off the restaurants show off the music shows right. off. Just, you know, the, the nights and days are just, they're, they're beautiful. Well, it's, you know, a shout out to their, to the people who, fi- who have these bands and get them too. Yo, gosh, I mean, yeah. what a, what an enormous job it is finding all this talent, but yeah, it just shows you there's so much talent out there. And, you know, we talk about the talent here in Northeast Wisconsin where we give you these stories, but the amount of talent out there in the music business as well that is coming to Mile of Music is incredible also. That really is a horrid job, isn't it? You just got to sit there and listen to music and just listen to more <laughs> yeah. music and then decide what music you like more and then try to get that. That would be a horrible job. I yeah. bet. If they need anybody, you know, they can send them, yeah. send some music our way and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. We'll help you out. <laughs> You know, more jam bands, more jam bands is my only recommendation. <laughs> what do you got, Joe? Well, Tash, I, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm love this episode. I, I, Dave Edwards is, is one of my all time favorite people ever still is. I mean, I, he's a part of my morning every single morning for, you know, forever, it seems like. And to be able to work with him with at the Red Smith Banquet and to, to specifically have really Dave led the transition in the Red Smith Banquet from the traditional head table where the speaker would go up to the podium and tell stories and, and things like that to more of an interview style where it, it, like it like it has been where Dave is up there on stage with with you know the, with the lights and the, and the videos and things like that. But he's having what what we are trying to do here on the Newsicast. He's having an an intimate conversation, a curious conversation with whoever was up there, whether it was Doctor J right. or Bob Costas or whoever. But I'll never forget that you know the the very first year. And in, in fact, I think it was Goose Gossage's year. I. I should have been sharp. I can't remember the exact year that we flipped the room and went to this style. But but Dave was the MC, and I remember as the show started, standing kind of in the back of the room. The stage is lit, and Dave was sitting in the chair uh, on the middle of the stage interview. I'm not even sure who he was interviewing, but I just remember thinking, "Holy cow, we're we're actually doing it." It is the room looks great. Dave looks like, and I remember thinking this just the way he was sitting. He kind of had his legs crossed. I remember thinking, "That's Letterman up there." He, he, he had that kind of that presence. It was just, it, it was like that to, to me in that, in that moment that this, this is what the Red Smith Banquet, Red Smith Show has turned into. And that, that wouldn't have happened with, without Dave. You needed somebody like him to pull it off, you know. And, and I'm never forgetting that. That, that, that yeah. was a, a fundamental change to, to that banquet and to the way that, that, that show was, was put on. And Dave is, is, is largely to thank for that. So I'm never forgetting yeah. that. So and, and I'm never awesome. forgetting Dave either. For I can't thank him enough for, for sitting down and doing this interview. It, it, it meant the world to me. I'm glad people got to hear who Dave Edwards is because he's you know we hear we hear him every morning and you can kind of piece things together of, of of who he is. But to be able to just sit down and talk to him and you know talk basketball and and, and things like that, 
it was a lot of fun and, and I'm sure everybody will enjoy it. So Dave, never forget. All right, NoosaCast listeners, we are going to uh, do a little throwback here. And our throwback has one of the legendary premier hitters in the American League and in all of baseball we could pretty much go with. Uh, Played with his entire career with the Boston Red Sox, 1974 to 1989. Uh, Was named the AL MVP in 1978. And um, he's an all-around just really good person. And that that, uh, player is Jim Rice. No, absolutely, Tosh. I tell you, you were never upset when you opened up a pack of Topps baseball cards and you had Jim Rice. I, I was always excited. Yeah, what a fun, fun guy to to watch too. Classic, you know. Right, and those were some awesome. I mean, those were our growing up years. That's that's where you and I developed our love of baseball. Were those at late seventies, early eighties? The Yankees were good. Boston was good. I mean, the American League East the Brewers played in the yeah. American League East at that time, so we saw, you know. Um, Boston quite a bit at that time. So absolutely. Yeah, it was good stuff. Good stuff. And, you know, just, I mean, a legendary career, you know, absolutely a fantastic baseball player, but also um, really was charitable. He, uh, he worked and he wanted to give back. And a lot of those organizations that he worked with during the course of his career and after um, dealt with kids. Uh, He was, uh, he was an honorary chairman of the Jimmy fund. um, And you know, he was part of the uh, Dana Ferber um, Cancer Institute in Boston. And so, you know, he was he was a very, very involved in the community as well. Yeah, no, no doubt. Just an incredible guy. I mean, it's it's nice. We've said this a hundred times already on, on this show that you, you see the, the, the athlete performing what, whatever sport they're doing and you think they're a certain way. But when you sit down and talk to them and understand who they are, all of them have stories like this, that what they give back and, and what they do for their communities, it's its huge. It's epic. It affects a lot of people's lives in a good way. Yeah. And in fact, one of those those good ways is on a nationally televised game in 1982, uh, there was a foul ball hit into the stands and it struck a young boy in the head. Um, he left the dugout, went into the stands, grabbed the kid, brought him through the dugout into the clubhouse. So the team person, the medical personnel could work on the kid. And truly, if it wasn't for his actions, that kid may not have made it. They didn't know if paramedics would have made it in time to uh, help that kid. And he, the, the young man made a full recovery. Uh, he's a young man now, boy at the time, made a full recovery from his injuries. And uh, Jim Rice also paid for all of his medical bills. It's just incredible. I mean, what, what an unbelievable story. I, I remember when that happened, there was actually television coverage i remember him running up into the into the stands and running back down into the dugout with with the boy in his arms heroic i I don't know how else to say it absolutely so you know we hope you enjoy this throwback and uh remember you're getting it on the podcast you can also find the entire throwback on youtube and the special about this this interview you you get to see uh, dave edwards who we obviously just had on the podcast but Dave and Jim have a great, great conversation. And they might even talk a little bit about a soap opera. Red Smith Sports Awards. Banquet Throwback. 
Red Smith Award, of course, goes to someone who has made some unique contributions to sport in Wisconsin. And also epitomizes the great values that Red Smith exhibited. Let's give a Red Smith welcome. Boston Red Sox great and Hall of Famer, Mr. Jim Rice. Bring back some pretty sweet memories there, or what? You know, I, I don't. I never really watched myself uh, as far as looking at films. We didn't. Mm -hmm. It's not that long ago, but we didn't have films. <laughs> you know, we can go back and watch ourselves. Uh, but that was uh, a little enjoyment. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame, first of all. How's that process work? They just call up and say, "Is Mr. Rice there?" Well, I knew uh, approximately what time that the ballot was going to be in. I sort of have a routine. Mm -hmm. As being a ball player, we have so much time on the road to do nothing. I love golf. But regardless if I'm on the road or at home, at 12.30, depends on the city, I got to be in the hotel or at my house at 12.30 because I'm a Y&R guy, young and restless. Oh, so hell I have to look at my soap opera. It started with my mom with General Hospital, and after... Certain characters died off. I went yep. to, you know, general. I mean, went to uh, Young and Restless. So when I got the call from the Hall of Fame, uh, Jeff Ison called me. He said, uh, Jim, I have some good news and have some bad news. I said, What's that? He said, You're in the Hall of Fame, and I need you at a certain time. I said, Jeff, I appreciate that, but it's 12:35. I will call you back after the wide arm. <laughs> and well, I have a buddy. I can call my buddy right now here, tell me what happened to the <laughs> guy. We, my wife told me, get a life. <laughs> yeah, there you go. My wife tells me that all the time. You see the Hall of Fame. You're in it now. Yeah. You see some of the men that just got the call. How's that feel? It's good, but, you know, I, I didn't really play against these guys. Yeah. So you go back and you look at the numbers and you look at Maddox and you look, I know what Frank Hurt did. Oh, yeah. And Glavin, guys like that, and you say, those guys are good. Mm -hmm. But then again, we sit in a room with Hall of Famers. And hey, he weren't that good. Why? <laughs> eat a, eat, a, piss, eat uh, a piss against me. Because, you know, you sit there and you listen to, to Reggie Jackson, Jim Palmer, and all the rest of the guys, and Bob Gibson, and you say, these guys that, that, that's, that's talking here, they were bad. But then you look at the other guys, uh -huh. they were bad during that, their time. Oh, yeah. But you couldn't wear these guys' socks here. Yeah. Anyone you played with that you go, gosh, that guy should be in the hall right now? I, don't, I, I never really sat down and thought about it. Mm -hmm. But there are probably guys out there. And I think um, the writers are voting, but I think sometimes a lot of guys are overlooked. Yeah. And you look at my numbers, um, the 10 years that I was on the ballot, whatever years, my numbers didn't change. Mm -hmm. But I never played the game to go into the Hall of Fame. I played the game because I had a gift. I had a talent. And I was like, Jackie, I, I wanted to be a leader and yeah. not a follower. That's what my dad told me. And then when I got to Boston, some guy played here many years, years ago named Ted Williams. Who is he? Yeah. Then I had to play another guy named Carl Yaskrimski. Uh, yeah. And then they throw me out there and I said, oh man, what the heck I got to uh, do uh, here? No, 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 not and left field, please. My, my thing was that uh, Yaz came to me one day. He said, Jimmy, this could be your club and Freddie club, but mm -hmm. Freddie Lynn eventually left. And so now there were no pressure on me, but I enjoyed the pressure that I applied to myself because I wanted to be a leader. And I had Johnny Pesky, my mentor, 
to really help me through uh, the stress that I was going through as far as falling in the footsteps of those other two guys. Mm -hmm. He said, look, mm -hmm. just go out there and be yourself and enjoy and have fun. And that's what it was all about. You looked like you were having fun because those teams were fun to watch. It was. Um, we play 162 games a year. We play about 30 games in spring training. Right. And the 15 years I was in the big leagues, I tried to miss one day in spring training. That's March 8th. That's my birthday. Oh. I don't try not to play. On, try not to Party play. On, time. Try not to play on March 8th. There you that go. That was it. But the rest of the season in spring training, I played every day, and I think I'm the only player in the game that played 163 games in one year, Ooh. because we had a one-game playoff oh, with sure. the Yankees. Sure. So I played 163. So I try to average out between. Uh, 157 and 163. <laughs> do, do, do Red Sox fans still have a special place in their heart for Bucky Dent? Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Bucky F rule. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. But you know, I, it, it was, it's baseball, it's any other sports. Uh, there's going to be winners, there's going to be losers. Mm -hmm. And it's just like uh, being an athlete, you know, um, athletes probably say, hey, I could have played another four years. Yeah, in your mind. Yeah. But your body's saying, yeah. you can't do it. So your body will let you know. Fantastic teams to watch. You'd see the Green Monster, that you knew you were Boston. But you'd also see that sign up in the outfield. That was pretty special to you. Yeah. The Jimmy Fund. The Jimmy Fund. The Jimmy Fund. Mr. York started the foundation with a little boy named Jimmy and his uh, cancer research. Uh, and I was chairman of the cancer research for five years. And uh, we have a, have a telethon every year. Mm -hmm. uh, to raise can uh, money for uh, cancer research. And once you become part of the Boston Red Sox, you become part of the Jimmy Fund. And it's outstanding. I mean, I don't care how strong you are, men, but when you go down to the cancer research and you see the little kids down there are in a, uh, a dying phase, it'll make the strongest man cry. Do you feel as appreciated as you should be? with a career like you had? I don't really think about it. Um, I feel like I'm loved in Boston. Because if not, I would be in South Carolina. <laughs> and I've been in Boston for 35 years. Fantastic. And so uh, every athlete in Boston is like, if you watch the program Cheers, everyone is like Norm. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they, they know who you are. They know who you are. I mean, you, uh, you go down to Newberry Street, uh, Newberry Street's like Rodeo Drive, and you walk down, everyone knows who you are. It's a very sports-minded city, oh, and yeah. a lot of the sports figures still hang around in Boston. Yeah. They don't go anywhere. What keeps you busy now? What are you I doing? still work with the Red Sox. I've been mm -hmm. with the Red Sox since 1971. I signed out of high school, spent four years in the minor leagues. Uh, at the end of my fourth year, I was in the big leagues, and I've uh, been there ever since. And I've been working with um, our New England network station called mm -hmm. Nesson. Um, do a little pre and post game for the last, I think I started in 02. Good. Too. And you ever uh, want to do any coaching along the way? I did. I was a hitting instructor for six years. And I have um, four grandkids. And I do not need to be, be a babysitter. <laughs> when, you, when you become a coach, all the blame is on you. Mm -hmm. A player is never wrong. Why? Because they make more than you. <laughs> That's why they're never wrong. And a, a player can get you to stay, and a player can get you fired. Uh, <laughs> young man gets hit by a line drive. Mm -hmm. That's frightening, first of all. Okay. You jumped in yeah. where most would not. Yeah. Tell us about what happened that day. It's amazing. Well, Dave Stapleton hit a line drive. Um, I guess he get, we call it getting jammed. 
Yeah. Dave Staples is a right-handed hitter, and he hit the ball behind our dugout, which is on the first base side. So it's telling you that he's a little tardy with his bat. So he hits a kid, I guess, in the head more than anything else. And the, the fact is that his dad was there with him. Right. It's amazing how people will panic when they see blood. Oh. And the trainer that was on the steps, and everyone just panicked. Mm -hmm. And I was in the dugout, and I just came around and said, what's going on? Nobody said, the kid got hit. And I just ran over and got the kid. And his dad said that I probably saved his life. Wow. Uh, but it was just a thing of uh, if my kids, if they were in a situation like that, I would want someone to go and mm -hmm. pick them up. Mm -hmm. And the trainer panicked because he said that by going and picking the kid up, anything could have happened any time. Sure, sure. But I didn't think about it. I don't want anyone to think about that I'm going to sue you if you see my kid out there hurt. And that's the thought that I oh. had in my head. And so you did what? I picked him up and took him in the clubhouse. And there was a doctor waiting, right? Doctor, we have, doctors always around. Always yeah, there, I'll, somewhere. Yeah. I always have doctors around. And without that help? It helped him. And, and matter of fact, he came back uh, to the day that I was um, at the ballpark after uh, I was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And he showed up. Mm -hmm. Next time you come back to Wisconsin, come when it's a little warmer, we'll go play some golf. Well, you know, I would definitely give it a thought. <laughs> but uh, I'll make a deal with you. i come back, but we got to play early in the morning. Uh, oh. But, but, but see, also, but see, here's the thing over here. We probably can play a little later, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Because I notice it, came, it comes on 11.30 here. That's right, Central Time. <laughs> so I did. I noticed that. So I Mr. can do that. Mr. Jim Rice, Baseball Hall of Famer. It has been a pleasure to have you here, sir. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Rice. Watch that step. Oh, I will. All right, thank you very much, Newscast listeners. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that throwback to Jim Rice, and we hope you enjoyed the entire podcast. Uh, we are learning as we're going, and we're taking a lot of uh, lumps, but we're also a lot of pride in what we're doing, and we think we have a good product. So uh, please continue to listen and go to YouTube and see the full throwbacks, and we, we just really appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend a little time with us. Tosh, you said it all, and, and Hazel, my dog, who's right outside this door, wine that you might be able to pick up, uh, she says the same. Thanks for listening to the NoosaCast. We appreciate your support. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so and tell a friend. A huge thanks to Digstown for all the music in today's episode. Catch a gig or find them on Spotify. Northeastern Wisconsin Sports Advancement is a 501c3 organization. Our mission is to raise money, provide support, and create awareness for youth sports organizations in northeastern Wisconsin. We do this primarily through the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet and the NoosaCast. Each year, we give back to the community through three initiatives, the Every Kid Plays, the Gives Back Initiative, and scholarships to student athletes. 